Well, one year on from the Auckland anniversary weekend floods, the location of new housing in Tamaki Makoto remains a difficult issue. More than 1,400 housing consents have been granted in floodplains in Auckland since last year's massive deluge, and the Resource Management Act prevents councils from stopping their approval. Joining us now is Richard Hills. He is the chair of Auckland Council's Planning, Environments and Parks Committee. Kia ora. Uh, welcome to the programme. Morena, thank you. We've heard so much about how we need to be smarter about where we build. How is this happening? Yes, yeah, so it's pretty difficult to change uh, the the laws of zoning um, through the RMA processes we have right now. But we have started that process uh, in Auckland straight after the floods. I asked for all tools and all plans and policies to be looked at. And first of all, the um, consented homes that are still being consented in floodplains, are required to have pretty stringent, um, you know, higher floor levels, um, water detention, things like that. But the zoning is quite a difficult situation. So we have to do plan changes to potentially downzone some areas we think are high risk. But that can't be done until after the government's changes um, of the upzoning is done. We, we did write to the previous minister around how we can't do them concurrently. We have to wait under the law until those are done. So we are preparing plan changes. Um, they will be controversial, obviously, if you're looking at downzoning people's properties and um, reducing the de- developability of those properties. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so far it's um, not a lot of change on the ground of how things are consented. So in your opinion, are these properties being consented? Are houses going to be built where they shouldn't be because of what a technicality in the law? So some of the things, so our regulatory team are pretty good at ensuring that houses are safer. So I think during the floods, the, it was about 1% of homes that were built post the unitary plan. So post um, 2016 that were actually affected. So that might be by chance, but it also might be by design that most of the homes that were badly affected were sort of pre-RMA, um, 80s, 90s, the houses that didn't have to have higher um, floor plates and things like that. So there is mitigations that people will go through um, to build in these areas, but also we we can't just, with the stroke of a pen, stop building in some areas. It's a, it's a government regulation on us. Um, so we have to move to do plan changes, and that means significant consultation. And of course, you know, some people will be pointing to across the street and going, I can't believe they're building there, but all those people who own those properties or those homes with the expectation they can build on them, they will potentially not want us to to stop or reduce what they can build there. What about insurance? Will those uh, homes being built there, would they get insurance? Is that an issue? So we have seen some... um, you know, calls from insurers that this could be a future, but not at the moment. Um, but we have said to the previous government, and we're keen to have um, these conversations with the new government, that we need a sort of bipartisan, long-standing, um, national kind of direction on this because we do not want it to be insurers making those decisions decision. So you get a consent, get a build, and then suddenly you find out your insurer goes, no, this is too risky for us. So we don't want to be making planning decisions via insurers. And I'm sure, and hopefully I saw um, you know, Prime Minister Luxon and previous Prime Minister Hipkins in the debates talking about they're keen to have 
manage retreat and um, adaptation and climate risk, um, you know, a bipartisan approach to that. They did say that in the debate, so I'm hoping they'll they'll stick to that because that would be really helpful. Well, there is a lot of talk, as I mentioned at the outset about this, about the need for mitigation and, and, uh, you know, we we have been heralding uh, managed retreat and that sort of thing. How much longer are we going to keep building houses in these, you know, potentially dangerous areas? So there's some things we've already done. The future development strategy, which passed in, I think, November, um, that through uh, our committee, my committee that I chair, um, which was about reducing or stopping new developments in greenfield areas in some of those flood plains or flood-prone areas. So we were pretty strong on that. Obviously, that was also a bit controversial to, to some, but it, we thought that was important. On the plan changes themselves to, to reduce or stop building, that is that will take a while. That take, can take a couple of years, mainly because we cannot downzone from the unitary plan with the you know, the government's medium density residential standards um, bill and the national policy statement for urban development that is currently underway. We cannot downzone and we've written to ministers and we've minister, uh, written to Ministry for the Environment because we would love a way to legally be able to do that or, mm. or do them at the same time. You've... At this stage, we cannot. So we're writing to the new minister at the moment to figure out if there is a, a way to do that at the same time because I think people would I think that would make sense. Is this another sort of reason that Aucklanders need to embrace or become receptive to the idea of building up rather than out because the actual, the amount of land that is suitable for housing is reducing? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at some of the areas, um, you know, out greenfields, people can think of Kumu, Riverhead, um, Takanini, other other places. They almost look like on our maps like lakes, you know, on our flood zoning maps, um, you know, they look like lakes. Um, people see them flood now. So there is a lot of angst and anxiety out there about why would we allow big tracts of development out in these spaces which seem like such hazards. So we're trying to attack it on many fronts, um, but it, it is complicated and we do need that national direction. We obviously are buying out, which is going to be very expensive for the ratepayer, buying out, you know, maybe 700 or more homes that are the highest risk and that were, were the most damaged during the floods. That process is underway now and that will obviously reduce the risk. And we're looking to build um, up to 12 large um, making space for water projects, I guess, which we have already done in places like Mount Roskill, Northcote, um, prior to the floods that are around removing pipes, removing roads, mm. you know, reforming the whole land. But that only really works if you're able to demolish all the homes and reform the roads. It's very expensive. It kind of can only be done in big, you know, with Kaying Order and other partners. Um, you know, we saw during the floods that those areas didn't flood and they responded well to those um, more natural greenways um, processes where the water has far more places to yes. go. So, you know. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much for that. That was uh, Richard Hills, Chair of the Auckland Council's Planning, Environments and Parks Committee.